Hey, welcome to Oh Brother, What Are We Watching? Two brothers discussing pop culture with a geeky bent. And I'm Steve Jones, your last best hope for peace. And here is Chris Jones. You're also your last best hope for peace. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good, Steve. How are you? I'm very well, Chris. Very well. And today we're talking about a subject so close to my 15-year-old heart I could almost burst. And that is... <laughs> You have watched uh, Babylon 5 for the first time, or first time properly, I should uh-huh. say. And long-time listeners will remember from our very first episode, our preview episode, yeah, where we got together that this all kind of started when you and I had a run-in uh, when we were younger. Yeah. And we swapped episodes of shows that we both hated, and, and you watched Babylon 5. And you kind of swore off it at the time because you were knocking me off. Because, yeah. obviously, how could you not like this show? And... And now, all these years later, the the show is back on. I want to say Pick TV. Is it something? Pick TV is correct. Yeah, never heard of it, but it's <laughs> it is actually a TV channel that exists in the United Kingdom, and they're showing from episode one, from the pilot episode, the gathering, mm-hmm. uh, Babylon Five, all the way through. And you've taken it upon yourself to to sit down uh, with your son, uh, no less, yeah. and to watch the gathering. Now, yeah, I guess before we we jump into it, Chris. I don't want to rehash uh, what we talked about before, but uh, when you were sat down and you were about to hit play, what was your initial kind of thoughts on on Babylon 5? Because you genuinely wanted to to wind me up about it all the time. So did you actually actually hate it before you watched it or were you just, "Ah, I'm going to wind Steve up about this? Was this this just a prank 30 years in the making? Um, So... So yeah, so obviously we provided a little bit of context um, back in the first episode about about my feelings of Babylon Five when we were younger, but I had I had always this hugely I- irrational hatred of it, um, which I believe we also discussed in the Star Trek episode, uh, based on the fact that I felt it was a, a cheap ripoff of DS Nine, and um, as we'll discuss later, my opinion on that has almost entirely swapped <laughs> but, I'll, but I'll, we'll, we'll come we'll come back to that so there was a there was an interim moment between then and now that allowed me to drop that particular prejudice a little bit <laughs> and it was actually it was watching an online reviewer whose stuff i used to just watch into the night i couldn't tell you why i just kind of got hooked on on listening to this guy and he talked about old star trek he talked about doctor who and uh i'm sort of looping through his videos the next one starts playing and it's uh, a b5 episode of babylon 5 that's that's what the fans call it isn't it steve b5 yeah we call it b5 he's talking about a b5 episode i can't even remember which one you, you said it was one of the better ones certainly i kind of got interested because he's you know he's talking about like uh, people who kind of get put in a mind prison something to do with that uh, it was a very long time ago. I watched this now. But the point is, I, I listened to it. I kind of got interested in spite of myself. And I was like, you know what? I'm being silly. I'm being I'm being silly and I'm being immature. And I have no logical reason to not actually give the show a proper try. You know, because I never did. Even when you said we, we, we said we would sit down and swap episodes. And I said I would give Babylon 5 a proper try, and you said you would give Doctor Who a proper try. I had no intention of liking the episode. It could have been the best thing. It It could have been the best thing I'd ever seen on TV. And I would not have given you the satisfaction of saying that I liked it. Because, I don't know, it's it's a brother thing, I guess. Yeah. So I'm older now, I'm in my 30s, I'm I'm too mature for that for that kind of nonsense. And you told me it was coming on Pick TV and I had actually told you a little while ago I was considering buying it on DVD to give it a proper try. So I thought, all right, why the fuck not? It's on TV, it's free. So it's been filling up my Skybox. I think I've got up to like, I think it's into season two now, right. um, recorded on the Skybox. Um, but you set me off. Uh, I finally sat down and watched it and I was nervous. And I couldn't tell you about what. I was either nervous I was going to like it. <laughs> or, <laughs> But also, I guess... I also guess kind of nervous that after all that build up and me going like, all right, Steve, I'll finally watch your much loved sci-fi series that I would actually turn around and go, that was shit. It was genuinely shit. (laughs) 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 
So let's let's set the scene. So it's nineteen ninety three, maybe ninety two, ninety three, mm. um, and this is the pilot episode of of Babylon Five. And for those of you who don't know, it was a TV show that uh, created by a man by the name of uh, Joe Straczynski, who would go on to do a whole bunch of other things, a bunch of comic books. Um, most famous for B five, but he also wrote um, the first Thor film, or at least part of first the first Thor film, mm-hmm. and uh, has a, a long history in, in science fiction television. And this is set in the year twenty two fifty eight, into the twenty third century, about a spinning space station in the middle of space. Um, obviously, because it's a space station in the middle of space. Why would I say that? Never mind. I'll cut that out. <laughs> okay. Babylon five is a space station in the middle of neutral space. And our pilot begins with um, an interesting incident, um, which then leads to chaos and mayhem and fun ensues. So at the end of all that, Chris, and I know you've kind of you've started to kind of watch a couple of more episodes into season one and it's slightly different then as well. But uh, let's talk about The Gathering. What was your initial thoughts on it? OK, so um, I had a lot of thoughts and part of it was because as well as some preconceived notions, I mean, I had... You know, you we we grew up in in a house with a couple of televisions, but there was only, you know, you could only watch whatever one person was watching in the lounge. So if you were watching Babylon Five, it was on. I couldn't right. ignore it entirely. So I still had a rough idea of characters, character names, whatnot. And I think what kind of first struck me is I was like, "Where's Ivanova?" and <laughs> "Why does the Doctor talk a lot differently than I remember?" There was obviously some cast changes between the pilot and the main series that I found kind of jarring. Uh, so as such, I could say definitely I didn't warm at all to the people that didn't stay. Right. Okay. Um, so there was a um, a Lieutenant Takahashi, was it? I think so. Yeah. Didn't like her one bit. Um, not surprised that... Well, I don't know what the reason was that she never... Um, uh, went on to the main show, but uh, I don't know. N- didn't didn't quite care for her. I mean, all told, I'll put you out your misery, Steve. I did I did enjoy it. Right. Um, I would say though that um, it's it's kind of ironic because things that you've criticised me for in the past are most likely what has spurred me to continue watching. Right. So one of those things is the fact that once I've started watching something, I kind of have to finish it. Yeah. So if I watch a pilot. I'm going to have to watch all of the TV show, all of its spin-off shows, any associated comics, um, any movies that come out of it. The second thing is that I have an incredibly high tolerance for poor production values. And while for 1993, I'm betting this was pretty stunning, obviously by today's standards, uh, especially the CG, kind of doesn't quite hold up. No, so the the CG certainly won't, uh, and it'll get better as the, the show progresses, but... Um, even back then, uh, the set, des- the, the, the quality of the set design was a big, um, kind of running joke amongst other sci-fi fans. So I remember at the time, and I can't remember how true this was, but I think they said that typically like an episode of Star Trek, which was Deep Space Nine or Voyager at the time was made for like a few million dollars an episode. Um, Babylon 5 was made for less than $1 million an episode. And it really shows on screen, mm-hmm. like, when you think about the scope of the show, certainly the scope of the pilot we'll talk about, yeah. um, it probably wouldn't surprise you, dear listener, to know that the, uh, the CG for Babylon 5 uh, in that first season, or certainly the pilot, was actually made on Amigas. Like, not <laughs> not high-end spec PCs and any sh- Amigas. Literally what we played on as kids, like going around our mates yeah. and playing Worms, that- created the CG mm-hmm. for the show. And they were just whirring overnight, Chris. They just produced... Like just, just absolutely, they're absolute top end, uh, creating the images for uh for the episode. Yeah, so I mean, looking at it, the station itself is fine. I mean, you know, it it wouldn't necessarily pass muster, you know, uh, for a, for a high end sci fi show today. I still think this the the station itself holds up. It was mainly just maybe the little interstitial bits of the lift going down, or uh, I think there's a bit where there's a ship that sort of clamps onto the side that's right of, yep. of the station and 
that specifically, I was like, this looks like uh, from, I don't know what it was, like 1990, probably 1993 or 4, actually, uh, when Command & Conquer came out first, which was an old PC game. It, it had very similar kind of visuals to that, yeah. which is very, very smooth. And when I first saw them, they blew my mind. Uh, but obviously now, times have moved on. CG tends to be a bit more textured. Um, so I was able to look past that and and past some of the flaws of it to sort of engage the with substance. the plot and engage the with the characters. Exactly. I'm going to just give you some rapid-fire general thoughts. Is that okay with you? Uh, well, yeah, sure. It is fine with me. You sure? 100%. Okay. So I love Garibaldi. He was my favorite. Yeah, I can see why. So I think before I have described, uh, was it Jerry Doyle? Yeah. I've sort of described him as a, a dime store Bruce Willis <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's fair and actually having seen pictures of him as he aged he continued to be a Bruce Willis alike yep. um, throughout uh, but he's great he's very charismatic he's he's quite likable He's you can identify with him and straight away there's this uh, there's, there's a few lines that uh, imply to us that he has he has a past that is almost certainly going to be revealed at some point in the show, you know, but he's sort of left said past behind and that, that Sinclair knows about it and maybe a few others. So, so he was quite interesting, quite fun to engage with right away. I love his interplay with uh, Londo. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you right now, Londo is my favorite character. Londo is so I will not spoil five years of TV for you if you are watching it all, but I will say that Londo is probably the most uh, rounded character played by the actor Peter Jurassic. Has kind of like a Russian lilt to his accent that he plays. He plays one of the alien races, a centauri with the ridiculous hair. Yep. Straight up and behind him, but with a bald front. Yeah, he is is an excellent character. And him and Garibald, especially in the early days, have a very good uh, run-ins based on his... uh, proclivity to create to create a mess and mm-hmm. garibaldi has to clean it up yeah i think the i think the aliens uh in terms of their characterization uh, i think they kind of nailed them uh you know sort of straight away in the pilot so obviously we have we have londo who's this kind of larger than life guy from uh a a race that we get the impression used to be basically the the, the sort of the big mm-hmm. you know the the big the big cheeses on the block and are now kind of more like a sort of an older fallen power is is the impression you get uh and and he kind of embodies that i suppose in the way he kind of drinks and gambles <laughs> doesn't Absolutely. necessarily take his duties as an ambassador as seriously as he should and then there's Jacquard, yep uh from the narn race um played by the excellent andreas katsoulis he is yeah and again he is he is superb right off the bat you know i gotta say while the cg hasn't aged particularly well the prosthetics, I think, look great. Oh, they are superb. Absolutely superb. As- especially on the Narn. They're very convincing. And as I think I told you, uh, I was watching this with my with my infant son. He's, he's two years old. And he makes sense of the world in a different way to, you know, to us older human beings. So he kept referring to Shakar as the snake. Fair. So, so he was like, what's, what's happening to the snake? Why is the snake... <laughs> <laughs> why is the snake unhappy uh and things like that which was delightful to me yeah and then of course rounding things off we've got uh delen mm-hmm. um who's who is the uh mimbari uh and they seem a bit more sort of ethereal and kind of vulcanish i suppose off the top of my head and i mean she was probably the least interesting of the three aliens to watch throughout the throughout the pilot for me but her interplay with sinclair who is the commander, for those of you that haven't seen it, uh, is is probably the most interesting. So she, um, so the, the character Delaine was actually originally supposed to be androgynous. Mm-hmm. And they, they sort of kind of shied away from that, especially when they move into the, the series. Um, yeah. And for a show that didn't have a lot of money, where they kind of spent the money was prosthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, they had an excellent uh, prosthetics team, but also the, the calibre of actors behind those prosthetics. So the, the three you mentioned... All three of them were played by excellent actors. You know, uh, Mira Ferlin, I think, is Croatian. Uh-huh. And she had won, like, the Croatian equivalent of the Oscars. Like, she had won awards. Very well-renowned actor. Andreas Kutsoulis had done a lot in TV and film in, um, in America. Unfortunately, passed away now. Uh, and Peter Jurassic's also a very accomplished character actor. 
uh, and all three of those kind of actors stay with the sh- the majority of the show not spoiling anything for you uh-huh and that's that's really the, the strength of the show is those kind of three characters and um how they interact with the humans but I don't want to to spend too much time talking about um, what I know of the show because I know a lot. But uh, <laughs> so, so you liked all those, okay? So what else? Uh, what else did? What was your other kind of key takeaways? Okay, so I mean, the actual plot is pretty solid. Um, yep. It's a very, you know, very watchable. There's quite a few twists. There's a lot of mystery. So who done um, it? Really, isn't it? It is. It is, and it's a good who done it. Um, I mean. <sighs> It's also kind of interesting as well. I mean, they, they put a lot in there. He's doing a pilot, as as we will probably discuss time and time again, is a very difficult job because you've got to build up your world. You've got to make people feel comfortable in it and understand where they are in it and introduce a bunch of characters without it feeling too heavy on the exposition. And I think doing it in a feature-length form like this is definitely the best way to go. Mm. Uh, but there's a lot happening. So we have... Um, there is a there is another alien uh, who I haven't yet mentioned, which is is Kosh, correct? Which is of course the screen name I'm looking at right now, uh, which is, has been your screen name for many many years, and he is obviously um, he's kind of the, the the plot kind of revolves around him. He's from this uh, as to me at the moment very mysterious race, the Vorlons, mm. uh, who uh, no human has ever cast eyes on, or if they have, they've gone insane, and um, so he has to wear this massive suit. Again, the suit looks phenomenal, has aged very well. And um, he turns up on the station and he's been poisoned. And that's... So the whodunit is who poisoned him, essentially. Um, and there's lots of twists and turns. We have the psychic Lita Alexander, uh, who I'm pretty sure she comes back, right? Like she's in the pilot and then she's not in the series one of so the great far. one of the great um strengths of the show is that there's a lot of characters who come and go mm-hmm. and um you get to care about those as much as the actual main characters so you don't see kosh all the time he's uh he's here and there um you do get to find out a lot more about the vorlons and their, their kind of place and and also lisa alexander so she will, will come and go and you'll see other telepaths and that's again these are all kind of little strings that are kind of introduced into the show uh, early doors I mm-hmm. mean they, they build from there throughout the five years yeah yeah and so I'll tell you I'll tell you what the strongest scene for me was Go okay on. so um, Sinclair's in his quarters with his lady friend yes and she kind of hits him with uh, you were in this big battle in the Earthman Bari war you never told me how come you never told me um and i don't know i guess she's thinking like oh wow you're a big war hero why did you keep that to yourself and then he has this quite sort of melancholy recollection of the battle um you know it's quite poetic the way he kind of he kind of puts things it's very well done um and again you know it serves a purpose of giving us a little bit of a backdrop Mm -hmm. you know about this earth mimbari war it gives us a bit of mystery because he's kind of saying they just kind of gave up and they they were winning i don't know what happened <laughs> uh it was it's a really interesting scene it was really well done that was kind of the bit where i was like okay more of this uh, and i'm definitely i'm in yeah. <laughs> that, so that's what, what i want what, what one of the things i really like is that with joe straczynski is that he will drop mysteries in like that but mm-hmm. in a very un jj way like the way you will get answers so the mystery it's, box it's not the mystery box <laughs> <laughs> it's not the mystery box. The mystery box will be opened, and you do find these things out, like why, why did that happen, and what happened in that war and stuff. And is that, um, is that also the scene where it might not be that scene, but that character, his his woman, his um, mm-hmm. she's a she's a trader, and she comes yeah. back and she says something like, uh, "I've bought new bed sheets. They're frictionless." Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a previous scene. Um, I think she says that on the com when right. she's when she's sort of. On, on the way in docking. And it was pointed out to me how ridiculous that is because if they are frictionless sheets, they'll just spend all night zipping in and zipping <laughs> out of the bed. Yeah. So Jesus, Jesus Christ! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can you believe I want to go to bed? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> friction is a necessary part of the act as well. I, mean, I know, I know. <laughs> it's a silly thing. It's a silly thing. Um... 
let me ask you this. Somebody's yep. reading a newspaper and it's called the Universe Times. Is that a little gag or is that like, does that come back? Is that the name of the universe's newspaper? Um, it's not the universe's newspaper, but it is, an, I think, a human newspaper that kind of turns up. But that's not really, um, it's not really a big thing in the future of the show. I think uh, it's mainly about the TV news channel they sometimes dip yeah. into, which is called ISN, I think. Yeah. One of, one of the less prescient things from Mr. Straczynski then, because obviously print media is dead. There's no way one that of the far in the future really... we're still going to have newspapers. Right. <laughs> Seriously, one of the things they get really right in the show is the invent contactless. No way! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have these little credit cards that pay for everything and um, they literally just bang it in and bang it out and it's like contactless. They just bing, pay, and away they go. So mm. Star Trek had everything. B5 had contactless. <laughs> <laughs> what is that scary thing? <laughs> That's a great thing to have. That's a great thing to have. Um, so yeah, so I enjoyed that. I'd say, uh, help me out. The name of the actor who plays um, Commander Sinclair. Uh, great question. I've forgotten off the top of my head. It's, uh, it's Michael O'Hare. Michael O'Hare. Yeah, I knew it involved a, a rabbit in some way. You know, he's okay. Without giving too much away, he isn't in the show forever. I knew that much. I don't know how his character departs comes goes whatever but i know he isn't necessarily you know i know he's not necessarily there forever there's a sad off story there's a sad off-screen reason why uh he left the show and Mm. he kept it a secret until he died unfortunately and it was really sad um something i think he um was was suffering by the end uh so they decided that he they should uh, get him off screen and they kind of wrote out his character but kind of kept him his character alive so he could come back um yeah. but yeah there's some there's a lot of tragedy with babylon 5 not only on screen with her characters but off screen so for a tv show that only ended in um about 98 99 yeah a lot of those actors have started to die well yeah i mean um, Jer- jerry doyle is is dead i didn't even know that jerry doyle died uh andreas katsoulis died um uh, the the guy who plays the doctor in season one onwards um, died. In fact, he was the first person who died out of the cast. Actually, Jesus um, Christ! Yeah, they, it's a really really sad kind of tragic <laughs> tragedy has has followed this cast around in terms of of things like that, which is very very sad. But yes, so um, in terms of his acting performance, he's he's um, he's solid. I would say Michael O'Hare. He's not a bit unspectacular. Solid, yeah, exactly. And I would say, I mean, I feel. So obviously, as I said, I've, I've watched a few episodes beyond beyond the pilot now, so I think I'm on maybe the fourth episode of the first season now. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely the biggest improvement, um, you know, for, for me was was for him. Because in the, in the gathering, um, for the first maybe 20 minutes, he's got this gigantic grin on his face for no, seemingly no reason. Right. Um, and I'm just kind of like... What's up with that guy? Why is he so happy all the time? <laughs> I've got a job. Yeah. I've got a job. Would, Guys, I've got a job. It did feel like that. It sort of, I've booked a gig kind of way. And it's like, okay, but you're acting now. So I don't know. Maybe just bring bring it, bring it down a notch. And then... Bring it in. And so he then jumps from that to kind of like, get the hell out of here. We're going to go in and we're going to shoot this guy. And he sort of puts on his like, I'm John Wayne going to fly away from my feelings kind of, <laughs> sort of guy um yeah so he has kind of a uh, it's a bit rough a bit rough from him a bit rough around the edges like i say that scene with him talking about them in barry war fantastic um the rest of it maybe could have used a little work the other thing that i so as you know i watched the original cut of the yes. pilot important so... to note because i'm pretty sure what's coming next yeah, you know what's coming next. So Stuart Copeland, drummer from the the uh, renowned outfit, the Police. He wasn't uh, just a drummer, Chris. He was the Police. Like Sting was the front man, but Stuart Copeland wrote the songs. Really? Yeah, that's why assumed, he did this. Yeah, I always assumed Sting wrote the songs. Oh. I think Sting might have wrote the lyrics, but definitely yeah. Stuart Copeland is the musician in that band. Yeah, and he's a very accomplished musician. He's a fantastic drummer. He's he's classically trained, if if memory serves. So I saw his name flash up, and I'm thinking, the Stuart Copeland did the music for this? I don't remember that. 
and I was horrifically disappointed by what I heard <laughs> because it's incredibly 80s. It sounds like if you watch it in the nicest possible way, if you sit down and watch this, it will look to you like a sci-fi channel original. Yeah. Okay. And part of it is the squealing guitars, <laughs> and the 80s synth uh, track, and the sort of boom, boom, kind of yeah all the time yeah. like through the whole fucking episode is that constant music and it drove me nuts but i knew i was like i'm sure i remember it having a more kind of classic theme tune and of course the second i watched the the next episode episode one proper episode one proper it has sinclair doing the voiceover not londo and it's got the proper music i was like Nah, this music's good. This music's getting me G'd up. This is what I wanted. Okay. Um, and so I'm led to believe by you that they've, they redid The Gathering. They, they did. They did. So um, Babylon 5 really was the, the show that could in many respects. Mm-hmm. When the pilot was made, you know, they, they found basically an old warehouse in a, an outside of kind of where most of the Hollywood studios are and kind of put together a very quick studio on top of it, which they would keep for the show. And it kind of creaked and everything, and it, did, it had no budget. So mm-hmm. Stuart Copeland was the guy they, they picked for the music. It was a big deal, you know, as you said, yeah. you know, part of the, the police. But I don't think he did much in the way of, like, scoring films. Mm-hmm. And you can see why, really. It's it's not great. And when um, the show would kind of come close to cancellation quite a few times, and uh, when it finally got picked up for its fifth and final season, it moved to a cable network in America called TNT. And they paid for uh not one but four telly movies movies of the uh-huh. week uh to kind of f- flesh out the story so there's a prequel called in the beginning there's kind of two standalone films and then there's a fourth one which sets up a a, a short-lived spin-off called crusade uh-huh and they also spent money on the gathering which they updated all the cg again not by today's standards brilliant but five years worth six years worth better mm-hmm. than the old amigas that kind of lurked through this this show um and they also got christopher frankie who did the the main score in this show to rescore the pilot in a much more acceptable manner and they slightly they slightly recut it but only slightly <laughs> uh also i believe they um axed the line where londo says that sinclair was the last commander of babylon 5 because of course, as we've discussed, he would he, not be. He would not be. So that created a bit of a continuity error going forward. Um, it was actually interesting. I just just before we started, I needed to remind myself of of the music um, because yes. part of the problem with that kind of squealy, guitar-y, dum dum, chicka chicka kind of music is it's actually very hard to put your finger on and nail it down and just remember what it sounds like off the top of your head so i i youtubed it and of course there's a bunch of comments just being like so much better than the frankie music can't believe (laughs) can't believe like this is what got me into b5 this song i can't believe that they they cut it and i can't believe that they turned their back on it and then there's a bunch (laughs) of people underneath being like bring back the amiga cg it looked so much more real (laughs) i was like what the fuck like literally the the internet has just taught me so much about how People like anything. Like the, there are people who will defend anything, <laughs> even if it's objectively so much worse than than something that comes after it. There it's will like always any... be a purist. Exactly. If you if you like poll anything, you will not get a hundred percent of people who agree with you or like. You know, I believe that uh, puppies are amazing and something else is shit, and not everyone will say that puppies are amazing. It just, yeah. it's just the way of the world and that, that, that and youtube and facebook commenter commentators are just right up there with the worst like there's always yeah. gonna be someone who feels like i really need to tell the world that actually stuart copeland's guitar ridden soundtrack for a sci-fi pilot was much better than the actual yeah. professional and his 80s stink <laughs> it's got got all over the show really marred it <laughs> um so i would like to talk to you so obviously i did a little bit of reading around uh babylon 5 after i watched this episode and sure. as i went on to watch the thing and so i hit qu- quite quickly upon babylon 5 and deep space 9 controversy and sure and that kind of took me aback because i was like i thought that was just us 
I thought that was two sci-fi nerds from Scotland making a big deal out of nothing and that no one else had even noticed. Sure. However, then I discovered the story behind it. So uh, do you want to tell the story behind it? Are you quite au fait? Well, I, well the, the story behind it is that probably nothing happened. Mm. Like, nothing. But what actually happened was uh, your Mr. Straczynski went round trying to sell B5 and he went to Paramount Pictures uh-huh. first. And they turned him down, and then he went on to Warner Brothers. And at the same time, they were coming up with the spin-off to the next generation. And Rick Berman and Michael Pillar came up with the idea of making it a space station called Deep Space Nine, and la la la. Yeah. Apart from that, the two shows are very dissimilar. The things that they have in common are broad. They're both set in space stations, which means that they cannot run away from the consequences of their actions. So it's not a Star Trek 45-minute uh-huh. zoom off, and they don't, you know. You never see that character again, or you know, what's the old joke? Kirk girlfriend dies, and therefore next week he's absolutely fine. Yeah. Well, on Deep Space Nine they couldn't do that, and same on B Five. So both shows were kind of revolved around that, but all apart from that, nineteen ninety three, two space station shows came out, and therefore if you were a Star Trek fan, B Five was a cheap knockoff, and vice versa. If you were a B Five fan, you thought Deep Space Nine was just stealing b5's cocktails of something actually original so oh you see so i kind of i respectfully disagree with you there steve so um, (laughs) okay just because uh and i don't know maybe this is the part of me who watched loose change and for about 10 minutes afterwards was like bush did it i don't believe it (laughs) (laughs) so i read i read the sort of the idea of it and and straczynski's opinion and he's kind of maintained it like he said you know, when asked about it years afterwards, he was just kind of like, they know what they did. I know what they did. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. The shows went in different paths. Whatever. I don't know. Like, I kind of <laughs> I kind of came away from the gathering going, I think, I think Rick Berman's been a naughty bastard. That's what I think. <laughs> I think he is not... And don't get me wrong, because... As as I have uh, effusively told you, I fucking love Deep Space Nine. It is my favorite Star Trek. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. And I don't simply think that it was a knockoff or it, it was a ripoff. I do certainly think that if Rick Berman or someone who was working with him did get their hands, because, you know, specifically Straczynski was saying, I gave them my, my show running Bible. So they got to read the backstory, the universe, where you know, rough idea of where things are going. I mean, there's a few extra similarities. Um, things that came to my mind as I was watching, as I was watching the pilot. Uh, obviously, there's a changeling thread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, people who can shapeshift. Obviously, that is a key part of the Deep Space Nine mythos, and um, only gets more important as the show goes on. Uh, the interplay between Garibaldi and Londo is very similar to the interplay between Odo and Quark in the early days of yep. kind of, you know oh you're a bit of a rascal and uh, you know i've kind of got a soft spot for you but i'm also always kind of on your case um so there was there was that kind of element to it you know even the 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 main kind of hangout area for the aliens being a gambling drinking establishment which is very un star trek sure which is why we love ds9 so much because it was such a departure from normal trek and it just kind of makes me think is this why it was such a departure? Did you see this and think that's a doozy? You know, uh, certainly they didn't do enough for my mind to to be called plagiarists. But yeah, it's it's, it's close. Like the, the, there's there's similarities, but you think well, you can kind of see how two independent people would come to the mind of that. Obviously, since Straczynski went in and presented B five, that's kind of where it all kind of comes from. But certainly, when I was younger and nerdier and more angrier <laughs> i definitely had an opinion that that, that sucks they totally stole it i can't believe <laughs> like even to the point where and again this is all kind of independent both shows in season three introduce a major starship like the defiant and i won't spoil it for b5 but yeah a ship is introduced mm-hmm. like to b5 to the point where then it just flared everything up again <laughs> 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 it's like, I cannot believe this. Like, this just happens in the... Th- I can't believe... Right, you just... Right, okay. Yeah. It just it just so happens that way, but... Plus, there's... C'est la vie. Yeah, there's also even kind of a similarity. They've got uh, the... What's it called? The jump gate or something. There's like a thing yep. 
yep. that lets ships come and go that bears more than a passing resemblance to the wormhole. Of course, the wormhole is actually, nat- you know, a real scientific phenomena, supposedly. So, um, in theory, yeah, Chris. in theory, yeah, obviously. But um, yeah, you know, I I think what I think is somebody read it, some seeds were planted in their head, and it's kind of like when I was when I was a younger man and I tried to do anything creative, I would always realize at some point that I was subconsciously ripping something off um, and then would try and rationalize it to myself that what I'm doing is totally different. Um, you know, I, I once tried my hand at writing my own sci-fi script and it was a direct ripoff of every Star Trek episode ever. I even once tried writing a song and discovered... Uh, you know, I was really proud of myself. I took it to a band practice and everyone loved it. And then I uh, listened to iTunes for a while and discovered that I'd ripped off Motorcycle Emptiness by the Manic Street Preachers. Like, <laughs> it was the exact same chord progression. <laughs> so these things happen. Um, and similarly, people do, like you say, come up with almost identical ideas. They, sim- they simultaneously spot a gap in a market and they both go for it. Far stranger things have happened than this. Um but yeah, it definitely, um, yeah, it definitely sort of piqued my curiosity a little bit. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think when I was younger, I definitely had a stronger opinion on it. Now I'm kind of a bit more lazy fear, but I love both shows that that the that they were both on at the same time uh, during the mid '90s was actually incredible uh, when you think about it. And the less militant you are about these things, the more you can kind of see both shows uh, very positive input and voice in the kind of science fiction television genre i mean they're both incredible shows but i mean getting back to this chris so we obviously we talked about michael o'hare's acting which was mm-hmm. okay um <laughs> and the, the the characters you know who are not going to make it which you didn't warm to uh uh-huh. but and the cg which was a bit ropey but was there anything else from the the pilot that you want to talk about in terms of positive or negative honestly um <sighs> Not not hugely, you know, I think, because I don't want to, because the, the story does have some really good twists and turns, so I don't want to ruin it for anyone that wants to watch it. What I do want to say in general is this, if if um, if any of our loyal listeners are, are listening along now and thinking, might give this a try, not sure, I would say if you're interested in the show, maybe maybe look at The Gathering as like a coda as like something you might come back to because having watched a few episodes on i would say it's a lot easier to jump into season one and watch season one and maybe come back to this uh, particularly Mm -hmm. the the remade and remastered version as opposed to feeling the need to start with this you know me you know i had to my body wouldn't let me not watch it (laughs) in in this order i did debate uh, saying to you um, to watch In the Beginning first, which is the prequel movie that's actually made about four years later. Mm-hmm. And then watch the pilot, and then watch the first season. But you, you kind of went through the production order, and actually that's kind of the way that I did it. I did not watch The Gathering until after I'd watched a bunch of the show. Yeah, um, And I got it on VHS. I remember actually to this day, Chris, one year um, when we were together, I got a VHS player in my room. Mm-hmm. Um, quite a cheap and cheerful one. I think my mum and dad bought it from Macro. They wrapped it up for Christmas, and I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah, you remember. Yeah. And then I also got the Gathering on VHS, and then that was the first thing I watched in it on Christmas Day. Went upstairs, watched it. Blah blah blah. blah. Um, and I was faced with the same things you were—the kind of clashy guitar music and everything. But I knew how the show would go on. I was more just staring at it in disbelief. Like, it's so different. Like, mm. but one way I would say it's actually better. Uh-huh. not sure but one way that is, is certainly i think better than the, the, the kind of the, the show as it runs on is um actually the lighting like it's a bit darker a bit moodier um it hides yeah. it hides the cheapness of the sets a bit more especially in things like um some of the more crowded scenes um, yeah and in cnc which is the bridge basically mm-hmm. the op center of the station is called cnc um the, the darkness of that helps it um however the the set design still suffers anyway you know and the the very cheap and cheerful even on-screen graphics um in in the the bridge and everything 
Um, yeah, it's, it's not it's not particularly great, but I did I did really like the way it was lit. It was quite dark and moody and gritty. Mm-hmm. Um, the music we've already talked about, like yeah, I can't take a relief. Um, and I but I did I did like some other things, like seeing the kind of court trial and the little kind of floating cameras and stuff. They kind of lent a nice air to it. You know, you really did feel you were in a different world from Star Trek, which yeah. was the preeminent sci-fi franchise of the nineteen nineties. That's that's the thing. It feels very un Trek. Like, um, you know, as the series goes on, like what what I've watched of series one, you know, I know they're building larger arcs, but of course they still had network masters to please. So still in this early stage, there's a lot of uh, kind of alien of the week or issue of the week to deal with. Yeah. Um, and so just that template makes it feel a little bit more trekky. Um, whereas the slightly more free form movie like structure of the gathering makes it feel very un-Star Trek. It doesn't feel like a Star Trek movie either because obviously they were never so bold as to do a DS9 movie. Um, So it's, yeah, it's unique. Um, So if you're like me and you're the sort of guy who watched through to Heroes Season 4 just in case it got better and you can really stick with things, then probably, yeah, just start with The Gathering and go forward. But um, if you're the sort of person who is worried in any way about being put off, you might want to just start at season one and come back to the gathering as a curio and, you know, something to fill in a bit of backstory. Um, Yeah. I'd be fascinated because often we will talk about these movies or TV shows and then someone will pop up in the comments and Facebook and say, Oh, I I took your recommendation. I watched it either. I liked it. I didn't like it. And Babylon 5 means so much to me and you're so early on in watching it. Yeah. That, I would almost hate for someone listening to this to go watch it mm-hmm. because it's five year, it's a five year investment in my opinion it's 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 a show that's created with a beginning a middle and an end it was all written certainly the broad strokes in this series bible by Joe Straczynski which is why when they introduce a mystery they actually solve it right because yeah. it's all been written out so everything that happens happens for a reason so if you come along and watch the pilot and you're like oh god I'm not sure about this or even to your to your recommendation you know, watch the first couple of episodes of the first season, it can still feel a little bit tricky, doesn't it? It's still mm-hmm. um, individual uh, stories that kind of not, don't seem to be interlinked in any way. And yes, they do follow on from that through season one and into two and three and so on. But it really doesn't kick into high gear until the end of season one. Like uh-huh. that's when it starts to get serious. And the reason why you can tell that as well is. Uh, if you look at the writer of each episode, like series one, a lot of them are written by Straczynski, but there's also other writers, and you'll notice that as you go through the credits. But by two, and by by the time it gets to season three, Straczynski's on his own. Like yeah. he's the only writer on the show. He writes three, four, and five pretty much on himself, except for one episode by Neil Gaiman. Oh, love one Neil episode, Gaiman. Yep, um, and one episode by Harlan Ellison, who wrote The City on the Edge of Forever. Um, <sighs> So when Straczynski gives <laughs> gives uh, to someone else to write, he gives it to some really high class people. But mm-hmm. uh, series one and two is a bit more mixed in that regard. There's a lot of kind of individual writers who don't come back. Um, it's very much like a traditional sci-fi show in that regard. But I'm almost scared to say to people who are listening, "Go watch it." I'm like, because you you don't want to hear. Yeah, I watched it. It was shit. It was just like. Oh. It's like, it's like, yeah, yeah, you don't understand, man. It gets really good in series three. No, it's actually really good from series one, but yeah. you have to see past the sets. And even in some cases, as you say, Chris, some of the acting, uh, yeah. some of the cheap CG and, and whatever, the show kind of finds its feet about halfway through season one. Like a lot of these American shows, it kind of finds its way. Yeah. And I mean, I think I think my only problem with the sets or anything, because, you know, like I say, I, I can see past that stuff, no problem, is the, the C&C, the, the, the main bridge mm. up centre of the station. It feels very small. Mm. It feels very, very small indeed. And it actually has a layout that, in my mind, is probably nothing like it, but in my mind, it's kind of similar to the Battlestar Galactica bridge. But obviously that was done many years later with a much bigger budget, and it's huge. And... Mm full of flashing lights and physical sets and so you know in comparison yeah it looks it looks very very small but i think i think the main thing i've picked up from having watched um as i say maybe four four episodes of the first season that i really missed uh and and i think would miss going back to say the gathering 
is, as I said, there's a character called uh, Ivanova, played by Claudia Christian. Yeah. Um, and she's the, the second in command of the yeah. station. And her interplay with both Commander Sinclair and Garibaldi brings an extra dimension that is just completely missing from from this pilot. You know, there's a lot of on-screen chemistry there. She has a very interesting backstory that we dig into quite early. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's more to come from her. Uh, she's also got, she's very sort of got quite a, I don't know, quite a dry wit. Yeah. Um, but basically she adds a huge amount to the show for me, for my money, that no, meaning no offense to whoever played the first, uh, you know, um, second in command during the pilot. She just, she just didn't have it. She just, yeah. the, the, it wasn't there. Maybe it was the writing, you know, it wasn't there for her. Or maybe it was that she just didn't have that same on-screen chemistry. But I don't know. She delivered everything with this ridiculous smile that just made her come across as smug. Um, and I don't like smug. So that, that, <laughs> that kind of, yeah, that, that just sort of ruined, ruined that character for me. Considering you're the smuggest person I know, that's quite something to say as well, Chris. Well, people have a, like a smugness quotient and mine is filled by me. And so I don't, <laughs> I don't want smug around me. I don't want smug coming at me. I'm giving the smug, but I am not taking no smug. Exactly. Keep the smug to yourself. This, this, I've got smug. This is a one-way smug street. So to speak. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, I mean, certainly when they go into the show, uh, Claudia Christian brings a lot to that role. Um, very sardonic humor mm-hmm. at times. And she plays like a descendant of Russian people. And she brings that kind of caustic Russian uh, attitude uh, mm-hmm. towards their mission. And um, yeah, she's definitely a big improvement uh, as the show goes on. As hopefully you'll find, I guess the the way to end this podcast, Chris, is to say you have tickled the ivories and, <laughs> and watched a few more episodes. But does this mean, though, that Chris Jones, you now have to watch all five seasons of Babylon 5? So I have to watch all five seasons. I have to watch the remaining movies. I have to watch uh crusade um and if there's any comics i bet there are uh if any of them were written by j michael straczynski i have to read those as well (laughs) there's very limited comics uh there's very limited novels um unfortunately they all kind of the license the licenses didn't get go so far after i think season two or three there's a whole story we could spend hours talking about babylon five i could anyway uh relaying all the yeah. behind the scenes stories and nonsense like that but uh there's also another spin-off that never took off called legend of the rangers but never mind right there was a character i'm getting a brainwave here there's a character with long hair called marcus marcus yeah. cole yeah was he a ranger he is a ranger yeah there you are was... i remembered that but the the Rangers don't come into, into season three. Of course, the Rangers are um, so named, and you'll pick up a few things on this, Chris, as you go along your journey. And I think we'll dip in from time to time. Like we'll just pod and just say, "Well, where are you now? And mm-hmm. What's going on?" Um, there's a lot of Lord of the Rings um, influence in Babylon Five, and I think that's where it differs from Deep Space Nine, as you kind of get into it, as the story arcs kind of kick in. There's little words that have been taken and little meanings and things like the Rangers and stuff, and you'll you'll he get does into have that. A, he does have a kind it. of Aragorn look to him now. You've mentioned it before Aragorn was cast in the movie. This is yeah. All I bet he felt a bit hard done by actually that he didn't get a look in that they went to Vigo. Possibly, but <laughs> he's, Vigo's pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe one day we'll talk about Lord of the Rings, but uh, yeah, no, that's. Yeah, it was fairly well cast. It was fairly Let's well go cast. hunt some orc. <laughs> uh, so many, so many things coming to mind. Lovely. Um, yeah. So I'm sticking with it. I'm in now. Um, so yeah, I think what we should probably do, we'll maybe do like a mid, a mid-term checkup. Maybe when I've hit that, the sort of end of season three, maybe. You know, where things are, where where things are fully in swing. And uh, we'll sort of gauge my enthusiasm then. And maybe we'll do a final B5 wrap-up where you can really hit me with, with all that B5 trivia. Uh, <laughs> you know, spoiler-heavy, big wrap-up. Um, and then I guess <laughs> you'll have to do the same for Doctor Who. Just go from the start, go from an unearthly child and, and see 
have I? <laughs> now that's more of a 30 year investment than a five year investment but i think this it'll be why, worth it this is why we said to people not to watch star trek from the start and watch all of it because there's just no way you can do 50 years it's ungodly to ask a man to go back to the william hartnell years and go all the way now to what this um, show has become now i tell you what i do really want to do yep so you and i discussed the the possibility off air of um, us doing an episode, you know, maybe after we'd done this for a year or so, which, by the way, we now have been, that would be us revisiting those episodes we swapped. So the one yeah. you gave me uh, and the one I gave you. Yes. Um, so I do think we should still do that. So I'm going to give you a heads up when I'm coming up to that episode. Excellent. I will rewatch it. I will give my new renewed thoughts now completely in context because, you know, I don't like things devoid of such. Yeah. And if you'll allow me, I might have another stab at giving you a Doctor Who. Maybe not that one that I gave you last okay, time. Okay. But I'll come at it with a. I'll. I'll maybe give you a bit something from the the more modern run, uh, Eccleston onwards, uh, and see if I can't find something that you might actually enjoy because there's some good stuff there and some dross. It's a real mix. <laughs> it's a real mix. It's really heavy. Okay. <laughs> Okay, cool. So before we wrap up then, Chris, um, do we have anything in the gamut for next time? Uh, so Steve, as you know, my birthday is coming up. Uh, and so last year for my birthday, uh, we settled a score regarding yep. The Truman Show. <laughs> uh, but it was also one of my favorite films. It was an excuse for me to watch it again and for you to watch it and for us to discuss it. Um, so on a similar vein this year, uh, for my birthday, I would like us both to revisit the film Goodfellas. Ah, yeah. Excellent. Um, because I think we have a bit of a shared history of that film. Um, I love it. I think it's one of the, well, I think it's one of the best films ever made. But we'll discuss that in more detail um, closer to the time. Uh, but yeah, so I set you the task of watching that. Excellent. I Well, I, it's a task I relish <laughs> and I'll be right into it so yeah no great absolutely great fantastic movie to watch and it'll be great to see it again after all these years excellent that's all for this episode we'll be back in hopefully two weeks in the meantime if you wish you can keep in touch with us you can follow us on twitter at obrotherpod you can like us at facebook.com slash obrotherpodcast and finally ask that you subscribe and review us either on itunes stitcher or TuneIn. Uh, we love you. Thanks a lot for listening. I've been Steve. He's been Chris. And we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye.